want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 23, and verse 15. This is a terrible text. Not because it's the Bible, but it's, it's a compliment and a detriment at the same time. Because Jesus is telling what those who believe a false message is, and what they were willing to do to get somebody to believe them. And so he says here in Matthew, in chapter 23, look in verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. When he is made, you made him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Because now the one you reached is going to reach others with the same message you were reached with. So you not only blinded him to the truth, he's going to blind others to the truth. And look at the consequences of those that believe wrong, but look at the, the zeal, the zest, the fervor that they have to travel the world to make one proselyte of their religious beliefs. Over the years, I've had an opportunity to deal with people of various religions. There are those that are Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not really Jehovah's Witnesses. They're Witnesses, but not Jehovah's. They get it out of Isaiah 43, where they say that we are His Witnesses, but He's talking to the nation of Israel, not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses today. And they also have a fervor about carrying out what they really believe. And as you travel across this country, you'll see a little building called Kingdom Hall. Anybody ever seen one? Have you ever met a Jehovah's Witness? Have they ever come to your door? You ever see them walking down the street? And they use a, sometime a little line simply like, uh, would you like to have a Bible study in your home? Or do you have children? Why, Yes. Ma'am, would you take your children and throw them into a fire? No, and neither would God. So there is no hell. Oh, that makes them feel better already. So next thing you know, they're in the house and they're teaching all kinds of things. And it's not true. What they teach is not true. But they have permeated the world with what they believe. The passion that they have. Then you have the Mormons. You say, well, Mormons are Christians. Uh, no, they're a cult. They're not what we would consider believers in Jesus Christ, who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that do not have an extra-biblical source of authority. You see, Jesus is God. He is not the, the brother of Satan or anything else, as they make him out to be. We don't believe that the Book of Mormons, the Pearl of Great Price, or the Book of Covenants, is equal or on par or above the Word of God. But look how they have permeated the world with what they believe. They've spread across the world. And when they're about 19 years old, all the men have to be able to go into all the world and pay for two years of their own money, pay their way to go somewhere in the world for two years to be a, a missionary. Because of what they believe. You ever see them traveling together? Bicycles, riding around, hither and thither. Dressed nice, clean cut. 
And there's things they don't do. They have a strict code. And they have good character. And some of these will put to shame God's people that know the truth. True? They'll have more zeal. They'll dedicate more time, more money to do what they do. And some of God's people will. Now what about the religion of Islam? You know that peaceful religion? That if you don't believe like they believe, they'll make you pay. It's not a peaceful religion. But look how many people believe what the Koran says. And because they believe that Koran, they're willing to fight and die if you say anything against Muhammad or against that book. They're fervent about that. They'll kill because you offended their religion. And buddy, they'll take and go into all the countries and they'll have some strict rules about what they will and will not do. The way they live. And then we have Christians. Didn't God tell us, the believers, to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Did God tell us that? But now we got to find out. Who does he mean? Who does he mean? If it's not us, who? Who's supposed to go? Well, there was a time when some of us sat down and we read the Bible and we believed it. Where God makes the statement, Every man shall give an account of himself to God. So is there coming a time when God is going to have every person give an account of themselves to God? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. Is there a verse like that anywhere in the Bible where we have been entrusted with something? Is it in the Bible? Anybody know where it's found? 1 Thessalonians 2.4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Oh, go for reference Bible, left-hand page, left-hand column, and up toward the top. So who is responsible to reach the world with the gospel? Is it the Jehovah's Witnesses supposed to do it for us? Is it the Mormons supposed to do it for us? Is the Muslim going to do it for us? Who's supposed to do it for us? Or do we, are we responsible? We are responsible. So if that is the truth, and I believe that it is, one day we'll give an account to God for being entrusted with the gospel. But there's three things that happens in a Christian's life that they don't like to hear. Most Christians, and I've been preaching for a little over 50 years now, but there's these three main things that I see always seems to be a problem with Christians. I wrote them down for you. I even gave you a copy of them so that you'll remember them long after I have preached them. You see what the first one is? Soul winning. You see, what is soul winning? It's the art of persuasion. It's a soul winner is a specialist in the art of making the gospel clear to the lost man. In other words, you're talking to a lost man with the gospel and seeking to persuade him to trust the Lord. Now, some people will tell you, you that's not your job. Holy Spirit will do that. Well, who's going to get the rewards when we get to heaven? You are the Holy Spirit. 
There's jobs God's given to us. Don't give back to God what God gave to you. That's a good way to run from responsibilities. I'm, not, I'm just going to let God do it all. So this way we're going to let God run the bus for a ranch. See how that works. And Jesse, he's not going to speak in ranch. He's going to let God do it. God wants him to do it. So these three things are important. People are commanded by God. And this was what causes some Christians to cringe. Sometimes Christians don't mind that if it's just coming to church and sit soaking sour, that's okay. But this talking to somebody about the Lord scares me to death. How many of you, really, you get a little scared talking to somebody about the Lord? I do. I, I got times when I am scared to death to talk to somebody. Not as much as I used to. But now we had some of the kids go sowing in on Friday night. How many did you have trust the Lord? 61. Well, they would have been saved anyway. Chapter and verse. You don't have a chapter and verse. What if they did not do that? There would be 61 people that probably would not heard the gospel, never understood, not go to heaven, but they trust the Lord simply because, see, they did it because, well, they're supposed to. But boy, am I glad the rest of us didn't have to. Who is supposed to be the soul winners? Everybody is to be a soul winner. Now, you know, when Jesus was here, the Bible says they wished not who it was. They didn't understand who he was. He was the Lord. He was the one that was prophesied. And he came right on schedule. But they didn't take advantage of this opportunity. He offered legitimately the kingdom to Israel. And they rejected him. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Not because Jesus didn't want him to, but they wouldn't. And he says in chapter 5 of the book of John in verse 40, he says, You will not come unto me that you might have life. You could have had it, but you wouldn't come. You wouldn't accept it. Sometimes we have opportunities that comes our way. Opportunities are like on wheels. And they roll away. They come and they leave. And some people take advantage of opportunities. And then there are other people who never take advantage of the opportunities. Until it's passed and they realize, oh, I blew it. Boy, I wish I'd have bought that piece of land five years ago. You see what it's worth today? Or I wish I'd have bought that gold when it was about, you know, $30 an ounce. Or silver when it was $5 an ounce. Woo! But you didn't have foresight. You didn't see it as that valuable. Now it's pretty valuable. One day when we get to heaven, we will realize how valuable some of the opportunities that were afforded to us were passed by. And we didn't see it as that. We have these classes we got coming up. A Tuesday night. Why are we doing it on a Tuesday night? Because we didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> it was to give people an opportunity that maybe can't do it during the day. We have classes during the day because we want to make it available to give people an opportunity to study the Word of God so that they can do the things that God wants them to do because someday they're going to have to give an account to God. And you would be surprised how 
much of an opportunity you could take advantage of, but it's on wheels. And one of these days, you're going to find out, you know, we had a Bible college, and I could have went, and I never did. I could have learned something, but I didn't go. I could have dedicated my life and maybe been a missionary. I could have been a pastor. I could have been an evangelist, but I passed it up. And you'll always wonder, what could I have done if I'd have only, if I'd have took advantage of what God put right in front of me? But I didn't do it. Because you see, if I don't do it, somebody else will. God will get somebody else. And you have no chapter and verse for that. In Ezekiel, he says, I sought for a man that would stand between him and make up the hedge for the people. And he says, and I found not a man. You'd be surprised. God will give you opportunities, but God won't make you take advantage of opportunities. I believe that if God has led the leadership here and these men to come to be able to teach the word of God that got 40 and 50 years of experience behind them, when you got somebody like Bob Brooks and Bob Gilbert and Phil Myers, li listen, you have these people who come here because they want to make it possible for people to get a Bible education where they know what the Word of God says. Wouldn't it be a shame that when you have to give an account to God and God says, why didn't you do with your life what I wanted you to do? Why didn't you take advantage of what I put right in front of you? But maybe there's a, a reason. But I want you to think these things through because they're all important. So I um, wrote this down. Soul winning is something that sometimes people just cringe. They'll do anything, but don't, don't, I don't want to talk to nobody. I just, I just can't do that. They go into cardiac arrest. The other one is the involvement in ministry. Some people just don't want to, I don't want to get involved. I just don't want to get involved. They're just, I'm not a people person. Going to all the world and preach the gospel to everybody unless you're not a people person. But if you're afraid, you don't have to do it. See, fear is a good reason not to do it, so God will accept that. Oh, really? Remember, it's not the preacher you're going to have to answer to. It won't matter about me. I'm just the one trying to get you to think about something that's going to take place. And it's real and it's genuine. If this book is true, what I'm telling you is true. True? Now, if I'm making up something, that's a different story, and you have the right to face me on that. But if what I'm telling you is what the Bible says, it's between you and Him, not between you and me. Because I'm not God. I'm not going to call you to give an account. I'm not the one. I didn't die on the cross for you. I probably wouldn't have if I could have. I wouldn't even die for me. Number three, giving or hearing messages on financial giving. That would be the Sunday you'd want to stay home. <laughs> True? I mean, if, if the preacher preaches anything, so when, ooh, involvement in the ministry, I can't do that. Giving, ooh, I hate that word. And yet, you know, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Ooh. So I wrote this little statement down, and this is a Yankee Arnold specialty. A burden for souls is what gives you a burden for ministry. A burden for ministry is what gives you a burden to give. You see, there's people who have 
a burden for souls. How do you get a burden for souls? By accepting the responsibility to reach them. Did God make us responsible to reach people? Then, if we accept that responsibility, you have a burden. You don't come down to the front of the church here and pray at the altar, Lord, give me a burden for souls. Well, I asked him and he didn't give it to me. So it's not my fault that I don't have a burden for souls. You accept the responsibility. And that responsibility God gave to all of us. Let, let me tell you this. All right, I'm 18 years old. I trust Christ as my Savior. Went to school, Bible college when I was 22. Why was I, at 22, more responsible to win people to the Lord than somebody else? What had God done for me, He didn't do for all of the others that He saved? Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here trust the Lord by somebody witnessing to you that was a female? All right, somebody. How many of you trust the Lord because somebody was a male? How many of you trust the Lord because it was a church? Fewer at church. How many of you trust the Lord because you were on the job? A few. How many because of radio? A few of you on radio. Television. How many of you trust the Lord when you were under 18 years of age? Look at that. How many of you trust the Lord after you were 18? Of course, that had to be everybody else, wouldn't it? <laughs> and some of you didn't even raise your hand. So you see, you can reach anybody, and some of them trust the Lord because of a, a female, some because of a male, some when you were under 18, and some when you're over. So you see, you can't witness to the wrong person. Well, I don't want to witness to the wrong person. <laughs> and who is that? Look at the next statement. George Whitfield made this statement. He says, oh, for a thousand lives to be spent in the service of Christ. You ever heard that song? Uh, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Anybody ever heard that song? And then they won't use the one they got. Look at the next statement. Now, some of these guys may be good. Some of these guys may not be as good. But there was something that got a hold of them, that gripped them, that caused them to want to do something for the Lord. Oswald J. Smith, great man that wanted to, had a great missions program. He says, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once? Is that a good statement? C.T. Studd, missionary, he says, some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell. I want to, I want to have a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Right at the end, I want to have a, a mission shop. I want something that's going to, listen, we ought to have a ministry to every kind of people there are. They're deaf, we ought to have a deaf ministry. Spanish, we ought to have a Spanish ministry. Nursing home, we ought to have a ministry. Rescue mission, we ought to have a We ought to have a ministry to everything, everybody, where we can get, they're all nothing more than fishing holes, right? But it takes people. People say, well, and the reason most people don't get involved is because I don't know what to do. You think I got a solution? Why do you think we're doing what we're doing? Because we're trying to help you. Prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared to meet him? Oh, you may be saved and have eternal life. You're going to heaven when you die. But are you prepared to meet him? To give an account of your stewardship? What has God blessed you with? Another statement. 
David Brain said, I love to live on the brink of eternity. That's what you think about. You never think about now, you think about eternity. I will lay my bones by the Ganges River that India might know there is one who cares. Somebody was willing to give their life. The next one, the objective of world missions is to establish a helping, reproducing, independent, Bible-believing church in every locale in the world. See, we don't need more preachers. We just need more preachers with a clear gospel. I think we ought to change it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. No. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. Because we've already got them all over the world. They just don't know the gospel clear. And they don't present it. Look at the next statement. Why doesn't your God speak my language? This was a question by an Indian in Guatemala to the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Why doesn't your God speak my language? So that's why there's some people who've dedicated their lives and they go to these countries where they don't have a language written down. So they can't translate the Bible into their language. So what do they do? They've got to have somebody that will go and spend time and learn their language. And then figure out how to put it into words. And then and translate the Bible into those words. And that takes years and years and years. I marvel at the people who have the patience to do something like that. That is willing to go sacrifice, give up their life, give up this good old blessed America to go to some little place and teach some people so that they can hear the gospel. Now, those ones that they reach... Aren't they going to be glad of whatever sacrifice was made? Have you ever wondered in your mind, I wonder what it is that God wants me to do with my life. Is what you're doing something that God truly approves? Or is there a possibility? Is there something God wants you to do that's different than what you're doing? Are you open to it? Would you even talk to the Lord and pray to the Lord? I remember a guy that was running around in the motorhome. And he was having a good time. Didn't have the pressures of a ministry and all that. And this important man, this godly man, he, well, he, he died. He passed away. And so they were looking for a preacher. And he would come and fill in for him. And they kept asking him. And he kept telling them, no, no, no. Nine months he told them, no. He wasn't coming. But then somebody messed up. They said, well, would you pray about it? I was fine until then. <laughs> it was right about in there, and some lady stopped me after the service was over with, standing right in there. And she says, well, how do you know God doesn't want you to? <sighs> Listen, sometimes we see down the road, and we're glad we made decisions that we make. The next statement. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left 1872, there were no heathen. This was said of John Giddy, missionary to the New Hybrids in mid-1800s. I have a, a friend, I should say had, but I still have him because he's still my friend. He's just in heaven. I'm here now. Dr. Curtis Hudson, this is what he said about people that made statements that motivated him. You see, we have to be challenged and motivated to do the things that we're supposed to do. All I'm trying to do is help you to think. Because one day, along with me, we're going to have to stand before God. And He's going to reward us for what we did. And every man has a stewardship. 
He's to be a good steward of whatever God's given to him. Jesus Christ. There was never such a compassionate winner of men. He saw people as sheep having no shepherd and had compassion on them. He wept over Jerusalem. He sought the fallen woman to forgive her and the publican to make him an example of the grace of God. God only had one son and he was a missionary for God. Only one. When Jesus was here, what was he about? Was it about what his father wanted him to do? Well, you and I, what are we supposed to be about? What is really the substance of our life? Life does not consist of the abundance of the things that a man possesses. See, there's something more. There's something else to life. Number two, the Apostle Paul. He so longed for the salvation of his countrymen that he said, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. A stoning, a shipwreck, a Philippian jail at midnight could not quench Paul's tears for lost men. There's a reason. You see, they had a burden for souls. When they had a burden for souls, then they try to find out, what is my burden of a ministry? I've got to have a ministry to help me reach those people. So I need to be involved in a ministry. But if you don't have a burden for souls, you don't want a ministry. You don't need a ministry. The ministries are to reach people. Well, I don't want to reach people. Then you don't need a ministry. Therefore, I don't have to be involved. Because yeah, I'm not for the purpose or the goal of it. If I have that settled in my mind, and I'll have a burden for souls, if I realize, does God have a burden for souls? A burden for souls is the closest thing to the heart of God. And if He has a burden for souls, what does He want me to do? He wants me to accept that burden to reach people. Therefore, that gives purpose to my life. And that's why we may have the internet. It, it is to win souls. We do the thing on the YouTube because we want to win souls. I, I preached a sermon last Sunday on repentance. And we've had several people that trusted Christ as Savior since it's been put upon the YouTube from listening to that one sermon. Is it worth it? Ranch is about winning souls. Friday night souling is about winning souls. You see, we don't do things just to have good fellowship. And fellowship is good. But there's got to be something behind it. That's what's so important. Look at number three. It is said of Dwight L. Moody that he had over one million souls in a 40-year period. In public and in private, in sermon and in songs, in lip and in life, Moody sought to have people trust the Lord, save souls, who determined that daily he would personally witness to at least one individual about his soul. And he did. John R. Rice, who started the sword of the Lord. There were sermons that I've seen by John R. Rice that I totally disagree with. But before I ever went to Florida Bible College, I had a burden for souls. I didn't want people to go to hell. But I wasn't clear. I did the best I could. I still loved the Lord. And I wanted people to go to heaven. Even though I was unclear. So I know there's a lot of preachers out there that may be unclear, but they still have a passion for souls. They don't want them to go to hell, but their message isn't clear. But they're doing what they're doing because they really believe that what they're telling them is the truth. I would rather people give a muddy message than no message at all in hopes that somebody will understand a part at least what they're saying and trust Christ as their Savior. I was led to the Lord on a message that was not definitely as clear as what I like to give. But I'm glad my father-in-law took the time and explained it to me. Get this. Should someone who is not as clear on the gospel 
have a greater concern for lost souls than those who have a clear gospel message? Hear what he said. In a Christmas letter dictated a few days before his death, he bared his soul winner's heart. I still, from my armchair, preaching great revivals, I still envisioned hundreds accepting Christ. I still feel hot tears for the lost. I want no Christmas without a burden for lost souls, a message for sinners, a heart to bring in the law. May food be tasteless, music a discord, Christmas a farce if I forget the dying millions, if this fire in my bones does not still flame, not till I die or not until Jesus comes will I ever be eased from this burden, these tears, this toil to save souls. Ray Stanford, Dr. Lindstrom, and a multitude of others are those who have given their lives because they didn't want people to go to hell. Aren't you thankful for a man like Ray Stanford who influenced thousands and thousands of people that went across this country? Hank Lindstrom was one of them, and he came to a place called Tampa, Florida, and started the Tampa Youth Ranch. And hundreds went to Bible college because of Hank Lindstrom. And he started this church. And the whole purpose of the church, the whole purpose of the radio ministry and Bible line was because Hank didn't want people to go to hell. He may let a lot of other things go, but he was always pursuit of souls. True? He was a soul winner. What burned inside of him? That's what makes the ministry so important. And when the ministry is important, then you'll understand why and what it takes to get that ministry done. Look at the last part I have down here. A.B. Simpson. In 1890, he said, A thousand souls a day are passing one by one away in crowdless guilt and gloom without one ray of hope or light with future dark as endless night. They're passing to their doom. Now, those are some thoughts to think about. I got some uh, other thoughts that I had garnered. And I'd like to take a few minutes and kind of read them to you because this is the, the third point there about Soul winning, involved in ministry, giving or hearing messages on financial giving. So to ease your pain, and I want you to know I feel your pain. Giving caused a lot of people pain. Talking about money, oh, that causes a lot of pain. So the deacons and the elders have been authorized to lock the doors, and you cannot leave <laughs> for the next few minutes. So while I talk to you, let me just explain a little bit to you so that it helps you and eases your conscience just a little bit. See how helpful I am? I'm trying to be a blessing to you. Have you ever read in the Bible where it makes a statement in Acts chapter 20 and verse 58, it is more blessed to give than to? I wonder who said that. Jesus said that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You say, well, I'll... I'll just take giving. That'll be good enough for me. Get this. The amount of Christ's teaching on the subject of wealth and the stewardship of property is very large. Matthew contains 109 references to the subject. Mark, 57. Luke, 94. And John, 88 times it refers to the subject, the stewardship of property. What you have. Now he says in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, what is it that you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you act like you created it? So he says this. Jesus spoke about five times as often on earthly possessions as on any other subject. And the only quotation from Jesus outside the Gospels speaks of possessions. 
Few congregations, if any, will object to the pastor preaching often on the subject of prayer. You probably wouldn't care how many times I let's teach on prayer today. We're going to talk about loving one another. We're going to talk about being kind. But today we're going to talk about money. And then you grab your wallet. That's all that, and if he preacher at least mentions it once a year, that's all he talks about. Do I know you or what? But woe to that pastor who is always preaching money. Yet Jesus talked five times as much about the stewardship of property as about prayer. Yet we know, is prayer important? Then he should have talked five times more about prayer than he did about your possessions and what you have. It reveals things about you. Because, you see, the things of this world are hard to get, hard to keep, and great sorrow when you lose them. That's why you work so hard to get something, you don't want to give it up easy. And the Lord's... <clears throat> oh, Lord. <laughs> and the Lord has to pry it out of your hand. And so the Lord reaches in there and he says, okay, you can have this nickel. Now, when one truly gives himself to the Lord, all other giving becomes easy. Think what I just said. If the Lord bought and paid for me, and I'm willing to give myself to the Lord, then everything that I have is not going to be a problem in giving to the Lord. Because you know that God can take away everything that you have. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Remember the little illustration? I pray to the Lord, and He giveth. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and then the Lord taketh away. What'd you do that for? And if he takes it, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But see, we don't see it quite that way. Now, let me give you a, a little statement. A preacher wrote to some prisoners asking financial aid for the church. One man turned him down with a curt note. So far as I can see, this Christian business is one continuous give, give, give. The pastor meditated on that. And then he wrote the man back. He says, thank you for giving the best definition of the Christian life I have ever heard. <laughs> the true benefit or discipleship of Christ is neither a miser nor a spendthrift, but a steward. You realize everything that you have, even in your body, everything you have belongs to the Lord. Whatever wealth you have, it, should all, it all belongs to the Lord. The Lord just lets you keep some of it. But it all belongs to Him, but He'll let you keep a little bit of it. But you should understand, it belongs to the Lord. True? I mean, have I lied to you so far this morning? Don't you dare say I did. <laughs> Another person said this way, I have held... Many things in my hands and lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Can you outgive God? If whatever you give and do for the Lord, does the Lord know that? Is the Lord going to reward you in heaven because you've laid up treasure in heaven that you cannot lose? How can you lose? It's just you don't have it here, but you invested it into something that will profit you for all eternity. See, going to heaven is free. 
But what you have when you get to heaven is because of what you did for him. Ray Stanford often said this. Giving is the true barometer of love. The more you love, the more you want to give. The less you love, the more you don't want to give. That's what he says. And after 50-something years, I kind of believe that that's true. But it's not the amount that you give. I'll explain that in a minute. A man put it this way. He says, go break to the needy sweet charity's bread. For giving is living, the angel said. And must I be giving again and again? My peevish and pitiless answer ran. Oh, no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give till the master stops giving to you. Has he stopped giving to you? If he has, then you can stop giving. But give as long as you can receive, and God will bless you. I used to talk in God this way. Lord, bless me, and the Lord give me some, and then I would share. Lord, bless, and he'd give it, and then I'd share. Lord, bless, and he'd give me an... Lord, 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 eh. and then lose what you have. And you wonder what happened. You see, as long as you were a channel and you kept being blessed and you kept blessing, but when you stop, you drop, you lose. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. So freely you have received, freely give. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, it uses the word liberal, but it means generous. It says, the liberal man or the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. God is going to refresh and bless those who see that life is about me being a blessing to other people. Stingy people don't last long. They may live long, but their joy, their purpose of life is gone. It's not what you do with a million if riches should ever be your lot, but what you're doing at the present with a dollar and a quarter that you've got. Not that we gain, but what we give. Measures the worth of the life that we live. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Your life is to be important. And this is why souls, if you have a burden for souls, then accept the responsibility. That's how you know you should be involved in a ministry that helps reach that and help you to fulfill that responsibility. And whenever you have a ministry, you know ministries, God's people have to support so you don't mind supporting the ministries that are reaching the souls. So there's a reason for the giving. I don't want people just to give. I want you to do it because you have accepted a biblical responsibility. That of reaching people for the gospel. Therefore, there's ministries that has to be supported. Therefore, I freely, generously, I give. Not because, well, I have to, but because I want to. You see, there's three kinds of giving. There's grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I hate to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. Do you understand the difference? 
I have no desire to try to get people to do something they don't want to do. If you don't want to win souls, then don't. When I made up my mind I was going to go to Bible college, my father-in-law called me up on the phone. He told me later, he says, Yankee, I did everything I could to stop you from going to Florida Bible College. He says, because if I could stop you, you didn't need to go. Because if I could stop you, you didn't need to go. He wanted me to go. He wanted me to learn. But if you'll stop and not go because of something that I say, you weren't ready to go. Are you guys ready to go to college? Have you made up your mind? If you can keep from going, then keep from going. If you can keep from going, then don't go. But if there is a fire in your bones and you don't want to just live your life and get up every morning and you go to work and you come home and you go to bed and you get up and you go to work and come home and go to bed and that's your life. Have you ever thought, you know, there's got to be something more because something will be missing. If it's not the will of God, something's missing. And there's no such thing as the joy of the Lord is the fulfillment of the will of God in your life. It makes you want, you can't wait for the next day. I can't hardly wait for tomorrow and then the next day. You know what I get to do tomorrow? I get to teach personal evangelism class to some people who want to learn. There is no greater joy than that. Because, you see, they may come out of here one of these days and be some of the greatest soul winners the world's ever seen. The first comes from constraint. The second from a sense of obligation. The third from a full heart. Nothing much is conveyed in grudge giving, since the gift without the giver is bare. Something more happens in duty given, but there is no song in it. Thanksgiving is the open gate into the rewards. God is going to reward you when you get to heaven because of what you did for him. And the motive is so important. He says, all this labor, tinkling sounds without love. Do you love the Lord? It all comes back to that. See, if you love him, he says, love others. Preach the gospel. If you love him. Now, if you don't love him, you're not going to do it. You'll play. It becomes a drudge to you. Going to church is a burden. Often plate comes by. You try to see how much you can take out instead of put in. Because it all depends on where you are spiritually. If you're right with the Lord and you know that whatever you give is used for God's honor and for God's glory, you don't mind doing that. But if you're not right with the Lord, you become stingy. Become, it's a grudge. And you're not going to be a happy camper. The Bible talks about being a cheerful giver. Doesn't I mean, am I making this up or is this in the Bible? This is Bible. Let me give this to you. The greatest of all mistakes is to give nothing because you think you can only give a little. I've had people call me up on the radio broadcast and says, Preacher, I, I'd like to help you, but I don't have anything. And so they sent me $5. And I thought, you know, if 100 people did that, that's a lot of money. Every little bit helps. And I love the lady, she called me up. And she says, I just got to do something. She says, I had just come into a settlement. And I have some money that I want to give. And as I read it, I thought it sounded like she has just won the lottery. And I couldn't wait to get down a little bit lower to see just how much she was talking. And she says, but here's $30. And I thought, God bless that lady. What she got... And she says, I'm giving you a tenth of it. She didn't get much. But what she gave, she gave. 
Do you realize it's not the amount that you give, it's how much did you keep? Give as you have grace been given. Give to spread His precious word, not as must or obligation. Give because you love the Lord. Isn't that a good statement? i got about two more I want to read to you. A man put it this way. He said, a well-known writer on Christian stewardship says, giving is not just a way of raising money. It's God's way of raising men. That's awesome. Because it reveals a lot about who you are and what you love. And so, think about some of these things. And the one I want to finish with is written by Charles Ryrie. He's about 95 years old now. And I heard him last year, two years ago, at the Grace Conference. But he wrote this, and it was in a Sunday School World Church Bulletin. He says, the late Dr. Peter Marshall once selected for use in a church service the familiar hymn of consecration. Take my life and let it be. Anybody ever heard that song? So they were going to sing this song. He requested the congregation to give particular thought to the words. Because in this song is these words. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Exacting the practical sense of the words, not a mite would I withhold. He asked that all who could not sing this line would literal sincerity refrain from singing it at all. So they're singing this song. But when they got to this part, if you didn't really mean what it says, don't sing at all. The effect was a dramatic commentary on the glib, thoughtless manner in which all too often we sing our hymns. Hundreds of voices with organ accompaniment sang vigorously up to the designated point. Then suddenly there was only the sound of the organ music. Not a single voice ventured to so challenging heights. Next week we're going to sing that song. <laughs> just, just joking. Just joking. I won't be here next Sunday. <laughs> I want you to be sold on soul winning. I want you to be sold on ministry. And I want you to be sold on giving. Give as though God is always watching. Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I'm too old. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. Age has nothing to do with it. You'd be surprised how many of you in here probably could be going to Bible college and preparing to serve the Lord. You can learn how to make a living. But you can make a living and not have life. This book teaches you how to live. Others teach you how to make a living. This teaches you how to live, what it's all about. If you have a question, you ought to talk to Bob Gilbert or talk to Peter Amato about the night school. You have an opportunity. Wouldn't it be a shame not to take advantage of it, to let it pass? Because maybe there's something else you're chasing. Can you think of anything better than doing what God wants you to do with your life? I'm not God. I'm not going to be examining your life. But I want you to think about it. Because if I had not have done so, and Hank Lindstrom would not have done so, we are no greater than anybody else. We have no greater responsibility than anybody else. It's just that we went ahead and did it. 
Are we glad? Yes, we're glad. Because we almost threw it away. Hank was becoming an electrical engineer, and he was going to, he probably could have made a lot of money, but he became a preacher. Had to sacrifice something. I want you to look up here. This hand represents you and me, and this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. But for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. Because of sin, see, we can't get in. And God says, you cannot save yourself. You're already condemned. There's nothing you can do to remove yourself from the condemnation. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into this world. Why? Because he loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. So what did he do to prove that he loved us? What if he said, well, I love you, but he didn't do anything about it. Love made him do something. So he took all of our sins and paid for it. This showed us how much he loved us. We didn't have to pay him back. He paid for our sins, and we didn't even ask him to. There's no guarantee that we would even believe it. But it made it possible for everybody to have eternal life. And so God says, he paid for our sins and came back from the dead. And if we would believe he did it for us, he would put that payment to our account, and we go to heaven on what Christ did for us. If you've never trusted Christ, I urge you to trust him. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Right now, in the quietness of this moment, would you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe Christ died. I believe he paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him and him alone is my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, if you'll trust him, God said he would save you, give you eternal life. Would you trust him? If you will, I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? I'm not going to have you forward, but right where you're sitting. See, that made sense to me. With your head still bowed and eyes closed, in view of what I spoke on this morning, you that already know the Lord, some of you have already made up your decision, but you that haven't, and you're not sure about what God wants you to would you pray about it? Would you do what somebody asked me to do? Yankee, would you just pray about it? Would you pray to the Lord, Lord, do you want me to come to Bible college? Do you want me to take a night class? What do you want me to do? What does God want you to do concerning your finances? Are you really supporting the Lord's work the way you should? That you have no guilt that you're failing the Lord? I don't know. I never look at the books. I don't care who gives what. But I'm talking about one day we'll have to give an account to the Lord. But this morning you say, yes, I want God's will for my life. And I will pray about it. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Say, what at all? Yeah, what at all? If you've already made up your decision, I pray this in the Lord's favor. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Bless each one for being here. And we pray, Lord, that those that are watching by internet would also see and hear and understand, trust your Savior, and let us know by just clicking on the computer. We commit this day to you. Thank you for all you've done. Bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.